looking for an investment property but unsure where to buy? Hi, I'm Scott Kuru, CEO and founder of Freedom Property Investors, Australia's number one property investment advisory with over 7,500 members and clients. Now, in the last three months alone, over 500 of my clients have purchased an investment property in a growth location. What many property investors don't know is there is currently a property boom in affordable locations all around the country. To learn more, head to freedompropertyinvestors.com.au. That's freedompropertyinvestors.com.au. We've been uh, trying to get to Matt Canavan, the LNP Senator for Queensland, and there's been a bit of action in the Senate this afternoon. I'm very keen to know what that is because as a political nerd, I normally watch this stuff. I've missed out. Uh, Senator, thank you for your time. A couple of things to talk to you about, but first off, what's been happening in your chamber? Well, I think action's too strong a word there, uh, Luke, but uh, no, there's been a bit of debate about what, what we should debate today and uh, the consequence is... Uh, we, we should be getting those tax cut changes passed this evening. We're going to sit to late, possibly 9 or 10 o'clock by the sounds of it. Uh, so that, that just bumped a few other things that ended up with a lot of divisions, which we normally have just on general motion. So sorry, I apologise for my lateness, but I'm here, ready to go. Oh, good on you. Let's talk about nuclear energy first, because I was very keen yesterday. I was reading, uh, as I do, I'd support the idea of nuclear generation, power generation in Australia, or at least a decent, proper debate about it. But we can't seemingly talk too much about it because of this moratorium. Now, I'm right, aren't I? This goes back to a deal done with the Howard government and the Greens back in the late 90s. Look, uh, you, you, you're pretty much spot on. I, I would probably not call it a deal. What happened in the late 1990s <laughs> is the Howard government had to uh, pass legislation to build a new reactor at Lucas Heights. So that's the reactor. It still exists. Uh, it's a nuclear reactor uh, that's 30 kilometres or so. I think you're in Sydney right now. It's probably 30 kilometres from you uh, operating mm. right now and has for 50 or 60 years. But we had to build a new one in the late 90s, or early 2000s, eventually it was built. Uh, and to do so, they needed the legislation through. What ended up happening is the Labor Party did a deal with the Greens to say, we won't pass this, we won't let you do this and build this new reactor which produces nuclear medicine, saves people's lives. We won't let you do it unless you ban uh, nuclear energy in Australia. And so eventually the Howard government decided, look, we really need this reactor. Uh, no one's proposing a nuclear energy at the time. We all had plenty of coal-fired power stations. A climate change issue wasn't a big deal to, to, to much degree. So they just let that happen, let the Senate decide that, let it pass through so we could build that reactor. And that's why we've got it. We ended up having less than 20 minutes of debate on that amendment that was moved by a Green senator to that bill. Uh, there was no committee process. There were no public submissions, no hearings about whether we should ban nuclear energy or not. It went through effectively at the dead of night and uh, a backroom deal between. It was a deal between the Greens and the Labor Party. Uh, which had consequences for the Howard government. So, look, unfortunately, we're still stuck with it. A few countries in the world that maintains a, a ban on nuclear energy, despite being the world's largest, have, have the, we have the largest reserves of, of uranium. Uh, and now, of course, we are shutting our coal-fired power stations. And if we don't find a solution, where the lights are going to go out. Yeah, of course. So what happened, and it wasn't quite, but about, it was last year, you sought to have that moratorium overturned, didn't you? Yeah, I introduced a bill, uh, last year, which very simply just unwinds that Greens Amendment that was put in the late 1990s. Uh, it wouldn't mean that anybody could just build a nuclear reactor tomorrow. Uh, anyone who wanted to propose to do so would have to go through the normal, very stringent federal environmental approval processes. They'd have to do that. The law says anything that's nuclear-related has to get approval. 
And so we would have a we have a significant level of oversight about what would happen if someone brought one forward. But having this blanket ban makes no sense. It makes no sense because apparently we're trying to lower emissions, and of course, nuclear energy is completely emission free. Uh, many other countries in the world are turning towards nuclear energy as a solution, and we shouldn't take this one off the table. It should be there as a consideration, especially as we're continuing to realise that. The wind and solar uh, installations that are occurring around the country aren't delivering what they promised. Do you remember they said that, that this is the cheapest form of power and, yep. and we'd all be paying next to nothing because the sun is free? They don't well, give an invoice. We've, we've installed wind and solar energy at a rate four times per person than in Europe or North America in the last few years. We have a massive expansion in this country of solar and wind power. Has anyone had a, a reduction in their power bills? <laughs> Has that happened? Yeah. <laughs> we no, that's exactly right. And Anthony Albanese said, said their plan would lower our power bills by $275. They put in a precise number on it. Everybody yeah. bills, his bills has gone up by a lot more than $275. And yeah. it's coincided with a big rollout of solar and wind power. So I think people are realising that's not working. Hmm. I want to pay less for my power bills. Maybe we should try something else. See, the, the point, isn't it, Matt, is this, that... If you, if you get a reactor producing power, it's there for, I don't know, 60 or 80 years. Solar panels, wind turbines, replaced inside every decade. And people do this cost comparison. They never take into account the cost of replacement, and they don't take into account, I think, the cost of storage, I, which are critical to the comparison, surely. That's right. And it's also that, 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 that fact you've identified is a crucial one. And, and it's, it's, it's the reason why you don't typically see private businesses coming forward to build nuclear power stations because they last so long. It's almost too long for a business to wait for a return. And, and so it's the same with large like dams. You know, you don't see too many private companies building a dam. They last hundreds of years. They typically have to be done by governments or supported by governments in some way. And it's the same thing with nuclear energy. It's very different for a solar or wind farm that lasts seven, ten years or so, uh, maybe a couple of decades, they get a return in a, in a lifespan that, that can add up for business. And, and this has become, these, this so-called energy transition has really just become a massive money-making scheme uh, for large multinational investors. And that's why you're paying more for power. You're paying for their profits through yeah. that system, where I think we've gone too far down this privatisation route. We should think about government supplying basic infrastructure like power and water to all of us doing yep. so on a long-term, consistent basis, spreading those capital costs over multiple generations. That's how we return to the days of cheap uh, water and power bills and, most of all, reliability too. When we talk about these, in particular, small modular reactors, the question we often get is, show me somewhere in the world today where these are operating. Now, other than, a, uh, I, I think, a floating generator in Russia I could find yesterday... I don't know, but this is developing technology, I guess, is it? It is. And, and look, I've been very much on, on the case that I don't think we should restrict ourselves to small modular reactors. Uh, the, the, the nuclear industry as a whole has operated for 60-odd years, and the, the light water reactors, uh, uh, the one at Lucas Heights is a type of light water reactors, have been around for, for that period of time and operated safely and consistently. We could build one of those off the shelf tomorrow. I mean, Finland just opened one recently. They had a, had a huge reduction in their wholesale power prices um, um, after, after it's, it's coming online. So yeah. that can be done straight away. I, I fully support continuing to develop things like small mod reactors. Uh, but I think one of the biggest problems we've got now is all sides are somewhat guilty of this. 
all of them are hitching, trying to hitch our future energy needs uh, to things that don't yet exist. Mm. And so whether it's, it's well, some people are over over-egging the, the, the potential of small modular reactors. They do have to be developed. But others are also over-egging hydrogen, which has not been commercially deployed. Others are over-egging batteries, which remain ridiculously expensive and are not going to be anywhere a solution anytime soon. And so we need to actually do things that work. And that, if we really want to get people's power bills down, we need to look around the world and say, what, what works now? Where are the countries that have cheap energy prices, the stuff that we can just take off the shelf and build quickly? We need to build them quickly because we're running out of energy. We're going we're to have blackouts if we don't do something quickly. But let's do that. And so building a nuclear power station that's off the shelf we could do. I've got no problem. Personally, why don't we build a coal-fired power station? China's building two of them a week. Uh, yeah. Again, we could what, build what, one of what, those what tomorrow. What about and, that, Matt? And, and we're, we're, saving the planet. we're saving the planet by closing down our six or seven while they build two a week. I mean, that's madness. It's total madness. And we export them the coal to boot. <laughs> we export them the, the fuel that they, they use in these new... And they're highly efficient coal-fired power stations. They produce about 25% less emissions than our old, uh, very old power stations now, much more efficient. Um, so why, why wouldn't we look at that technology too when that's happening all in our region? Uh, we're not going to blow the planet up if we built a few coal-fired power stations right now. And that would see us through while some of these other technologies might develop. And most mm. crucially of all, it would help us maintain the uh, manufacturing industry, which we are losing in front of our eyes. We are deindustrializing as a nation. That's mm. going to make us much poorer, much weaker, uh, because we won't be able to produce things anymore. We all, what well, we did, remember, we all had that experience during COVID where everyone yeah. woke up and thought, oh, no, everything comes from China. We're in big trouble. Yeah. Well, what have we done since to correct yeah. that? And if we don't build reliable power stations, we're not going to keep the manufacturing industries we, we have left. I want to hit you with two more things if I can. First off, Twiggy Forrest, he's hit out of the coalition for dividing Australia with the false hope we can cling to fossil fuels forever. Given where he's spending a bit of his money these days, I guess he's protecting something, is he? Well, there's no doubt Twiggy's in a conflicted position. He's a significant investor in renewable energy. So yeah. asking him to comment on the likes of or the prospects of a nuclear technology or coal is, is akin to asking Woolies whether more Aldi stores should open. What would Woolies say? Of course, they would say no. And, and so good luck to Twiggy, but, but he, he's not disinterested, obviously, in this debate. And, and he is also a large investor, if I can quickly segue, he's a large investor in nickel mining. He's had to shut down a nickel mine recently because Indonesia are also building coal-fired power stations like they're going out of fashion, and they're now producing nickel much cheaper than we are because they've got cheap energy. We don't. We've gone down this green route. And uh, my question to Twiggy is, if renewable energy is cheaper, why is Indonesia being able to undercut us on the cost of production of nickel? Uh, we've got better nickel geologies too, but they're able to undercut us using coal-fired power. It's a very energy-intensive process, and they're clearly able to do that because these coal-fired power stations are much cheaper than the renewable alternatives. Yeah, great point. Uh, Finally, before you go, look, I reckon, and you may or may not wish to comment on this, but I reckon the government is rattled about Dunkley. They've got news, and they've got it in the last day or two. They've come after your side of politics over immigration and housing, and they've specifically come after you following the Workplace Gender Equality Agency's report, which was out today. Now, a little earlier, if you don't mind me playing this, you said this on Sky. Have a listen. 
It might be useless for its own objectives and purposes, but I worry it's actually counterproductive to our society. These type of reports are becoming annual Andrew Tate recruitment drives. All they do is, is, is spread division and resentment in our community. Uh, people, young men in particular, feel like they are now being discriminated against. So the government wants you to withdraw. What saith you? Uh, well, I won't be doing that uh, because these these reports are completely useless. They do not compare apples with apples. They come out with these broad statements that there's 20, 30 percent, whatever uh, uh, difference in pay. They lump part-time employees with full-time employees. They don't compare different types of work properly, like risky work, dangerous work. Uh, and they're completely useless for many comparative purposes. But what they do do then is create a culture within these corporate organisations. I know many young men who are in a situation where they're looked over and they're, 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 they're discriminated against. It should be against the law. We, we have laws against uh, paying people of different genders different rates. And if there are people doing that, if there are employers who are doing that and paying females lower than their male employees, they should be prosecuted who do that. Bring that case to court. But this... This, this completely using this completely flawed data simply perpetuates the division within our community that is causing some people to go to extreme and poisonous ideologues like Andrew Tate. And I'm just sick of it. I'm just sick of it. Uh, and God, I'm happy for the government to broadcast my comments everywhere because I tell you what, I've been inundated with support from people who are sick and tired of these lame talking points that come from these government-funded organisations. If we want to collect this type of data... Do it properly. You're using my taxes. So correct for part-time and full-time employment. Correct for different types of jobs. How hard can it be? Because this organisation seems to be running an ideological agenda which is taxpayer-funded and people have had enough of this rubbish. Matt Canavan was in the Productivity Commission. If anyone's going to analyse figures, if, uh, if I've got to find someone on the planet, I'll be asking this senator. Good to talk to you, Matt. Take care. Thanks, mate. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. Senator Matt Canavan. And you know what? He sticks to his guns. Oh, my God, the media's going off. I've got to say something. He actually believes this stuff. He's a rare find in politics, I reckon. Are you looking for an investment property but unsure where to buy? Hi, I'm Scott Carew, CEO and founder of Freedom Property Investors, Australia's number one property investment advisory with over 7,500 members and clients. Now, in the last three months alone, over 500 of my clients have purchased an investment property in a growth location. What many property investors don't know is there is currently a property boom in affordable locations all around the country. To learn more, head to freedompropertyinvestors.com.au. That's freedompropertyinvestors.com.au.